Kurt just mentioned, my name is Nate, um, and I am, excuse me, I'm, I'm the campus pastor who's plant, a planting pastor and the pastor of gospel. I, my job's fluid here. <laughs> but no, uh, my name is Nate, I'm the campus pastor here at Community, and I'm excited to be with you here on this Palm Sunday. Welcome to uh, those of you who are joining us via live stream or on Facebook or later uh, on video. I'm excited to be here with you as well. I'm excited to be there with you. I'm excited to be digital with you right now as well. It's a, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. So let's just jump right in to our scripture passage today. Matthew 21, 11 verses. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you. And at once you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, tell them that the Lord needs them. And he'll send them right away. And this took place to fulfill what is spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt placed their cloaks on them, and Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of them and those that followed him shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? And the crowds answered, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. <clears throat> it was springtime, about 30 AD, a Sunday, and it was the beginning of the Passover celebration. Jerusalem was astir. We may think this was only because of Jesus riding into that city on a donkey, but, but that's only part of the picture. That's only a portion. You see, as I just mentioned, it was Passover. It was the festival. It was time to celebrate for the Jewish community. The city was astir. And this was the religious festival that celebrated something that happened 1,500 years prior. Are you familiar to the Passover story? When God told Moses, um, while, while Israel was enslaved in Egypt, God told Moses, have your people, have my people slaughter an innocent lamb and paint their doorposts with its blood. That way, when death comes in the night to take the firstborn of every Egyptian family, death will pass over my people. They'll pass over the Israelites. This was a part of God's plan to free Israel from, from slavery and bondage in Egypt. And this festival taking place, this Passover celebration, was remembering that, was celebrating that. And Jerusalem was astir. Scholars believe that over 2.5 million people made their annual trek to Jerusalem for this celebration. A celebration that lasted a little over a week. This was the beginning. The festival was taking place. And now we just read of Jesus' procession into Jerusalem, but I don't know if you're aware, I wasn't until this last week, that it wasn't the only procession into Jerusalem on that day. 
In fact, there was a bigger procession in Jerusalem. I don't know if you're aware of this either, but, but Jerusalem at that time was governed by Rome. Rome, remember, the, the, the strongest and, and arguably the most powerful kingdom, human kingdom in our history. They governed Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. And on this day, the, the governor of the region, Pontius Pilate, made his entrance into Jerusalem. And see, they had to make, he had to make this entrance into Jerusalem because, because Rome knew what this was all about. While they allowed the Jews to continue to practice their religion, and they allowed them to participate in these festivals and to hold these celebrations, they weren't ignorant. They knew what this was all about. This celebration, this festival, this Passover was literally celebrating the liberation of God's people from bondage in Egypt. He knew that what they're celebrating was something they may try to do again. Because now they're governed by Rome. They're still not totally free. And so Pontius Pilate comes in with this huge procession with soldiers dressed to the nines in leather that is shined to a high polish, masterfully crafted helmets, hammered helmets on their heads, sheathed swords at their sides made of the strongest steel. And in their hands, either a spear or a bow for the archers who had their quiver on their back. And it wasn't just that. They weren't only on foot. They were on horses as well. And drums came behind them playing a large marching cadence. Because they weren't just coming in to be present. They were coming in to prove a point. You see, I mentioned that, that Rome was governing this area. They actually overthrew um, Israel's king about 80 years prior. And since then, there have been little uprisings where God's people tried to make their own way for themselves again. The, the most recent one <clears throat> had been about 25 years prior. And the Romans actually had to forcefully retake Jerusalem. And you know what they did after that? They took 2,000 people, 2,000 Jews who participated in this rebellion, and they crucified them to prove a point. We are Rome. We are mighty. We are powerful. And this place is ours. Look what happens if you try anything otherwise. And so Pontius Pilate comes in with a massive procession saying, we're Rome and we're here. You better not try anything. We know what you're doing. And he sets up shop, kitty corner adjacent from the temple where most festivities are happening. That happens from the western side of the city. He enters, army in tow. See, this act of entry by Rome for the Passover celebration is an act of force and intimidation because Rome has expectations of an uprising or a rebellion taking place this week. But as I said, it's the day of two processions. So from the west, you have this huge Roman procession, and from the east, you have a prophet on a donkey. You have a prophet on a donkey. 
One entry shows military might and strength. The other shows the opposite. As you may remember, Jesus has spent the previous months traveling through towns and villages of Palestine, preaching in the kingdom of God, healing all that are sick. And now the time had come for him to claim his spot, his title as Messiah, Savior that God has promised his people. And Jesus knew that his mission, his ministry, his purpose, his purpose, who knew that at His mission, his ministry, his purpose was coming to a close. He knew the cross was drawing near. And so he shares with his disciples and he says to them, I'm going to die, I will die. I'm going to rise again, but I'm going to die. And the disciples hear this, and much like you and I, they hear it and they go, okay, Jesus, but I watched you calm storms, I watched you heal lepers. I want you to say uh, you're forgiven to a man and then heal him. Uh, you turned a little bit of bread and some fish into a feast with leftovers. Uh, you, uh, spoiler alert, Jesus, you just raised someone from the dead. Um, you've cast out demons. Okay, you're going to die and rise again. You're our savior. You're the king. The disciples heard what Jesus said, but they didn't expect His words were literal. Their expectations was that Jesus wasn't going to really die. And as they came near Jerusalem, Jesus told two of them, go and fetch a donkey and colt. Be waiting there. If anyone says anything to you, just tell them that the Lord needs it and you'll be on your way with them. And in essence, what what Jesus is doing here is he's he's quoting... The words of Zechariah. He's fulfilling a prophecy. The words that said, Say to the daughter of Zion, See your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. But there's more to this prophecy than just the mode of transportation for Jesus. Could you imagine if this prophecy was just, Hey, you'll know your savior here because he's driving in an 87 Buick. That's not the whole prophecy. See, what happens here is those who heard the, what, what Jesus was saying about go fetch a donkey, go fetch a colt, this is, this is what's happening, that triggers something in them. And here is the passage in Zechariah which would have been triggered in their minds. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now I am keeping watch. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you. Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fall of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and war horses from Jerusalem. And the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Jesus' words are mirroring Zechariah's, but also bringing up all these feelings and knowledge in those who heard what was happening. The message was clear to them, or so they thought. God would deliver them from their oppressor. Jesus is coming to free us from the tyrant of Rome. They had expectations. that Jesus was going to make Israel supreme again, a world power. 
The city was astir, crowded and loud. Pilate leading the empire of Rome from the west and Jesus from the east. Can you, can you imagine 2.5 million people crowded, loud, the season turning from cool and wet to dry and hot, and you have the Romans who crush and oppose, or crush anything that opposes them, and a prophet on a donkey that would redeem Israel. There were expectations. Everyone had expectations. As Jesus rode into the city on this colt, people would lay down their cloaks and they'd lay down palm branches. They laid down their cloaks as a form of humble submission to their king. You see, people laid down cloaks for the, for the entry of, of someone into a city. One other time in the Bible, it happened in 2 Kings, and it was when inviting and welcoming a king into his kingdom. They recognized Jesus as king. They recognized that he's the Messiah. They get it. And not only laying down these cloaks, but they're waving these palm branches. And they laid those down. This was an act of celebration, a sign of a coming rebellion. Look out, Rome. He's here. But the palms are more than just yay. They're also the sign of rebellion. They're a sign of defiance for Rome. Yes, they're welcoming in their king, but it's not saying very nice things to Rome. It's a sign of victory for Israel. This is a protest as much as it is a welcome. And the people shout, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, the King of Israel. They shout this from Psalm 118. It literally means, save me! Save me, King, you're here! You're the Messiah, you're the King, save us now! They recognize Jesus for who he is. Only a king would be greeted this way. But they expected their king to deliver Israel from Rome. Much like the disciples, those who welcomed Jesus didn't understand what kind of king Jesus would be. They expected him to be political and militant and great. Someone who would free them from Rome, the Roman Empire. Hence the palm branches. Hosanna to the son of David rang in the streets. Hosanna shouted from all sides of Jesus. It says from in front of him and behind him. Can you imagine the scene? Can you imagine? Can you hear the deafening cries of the crowds? There was such excitement in the anxious expectation. But see, Jesus wasn't always, wasn't only. He wasn't only welcomed with hosannas. Jesus had told anyone who would listen that the temple would fall, that a stone would be left unturned, that he would tear down the temple in three days. How do you think that went over for those who get paid 
by the temple. How do you think that went over for those who get their power, their privilege, their prestige from the temple? I'm talking about the chief priests. I'm talking about the Sanhedrin, the leaders, right, of the Jewish religion. I'm talking about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. I'm talking about the scribes. I'm talking about the leaders of the faith. How do you think that went over with them? About as well as you expected. On top of that, Jesus says to the man, I've referenced this a few times already, he says, your sins are forgiven, and then he heals him. You don't have your sins forgiven outside of the temple. Jesus is ruining this whole temple system thing that's in place, and it's, and it's doing good things. In fact, you know, the, the people who get paid and get their privilege and whatnot from the temple, they're saying, why are you ruining this for me? This is actually working out pretty well for me. Yes, I've, I've, I've made my money with, with corrupt uh, sacrificial tax and, and, I, and, I've, and, I, and I do some oppression and I keep people down so I can be up, but why are you tearing down the temple? They don't care for this Jesus character. Jesus had disappointed, alienated, and threatened the religious system of privilege, prestige, and power. As I said, the Jewish elite did not like him. So this group expected Jesus to be a problem and they had to take care of him, A-S-A-P. They had to handle this quickly and decisively. The city was astir. Much was happening, crowded and loud, a festival beginning. Israel hopes of rebellion. Roman safeguards against such an event and religious leaders anxious and plotting expectations flowed in the streets. And people asked, who is this man on the donkey? He's the prophet, Jesus, the Nazarene. Expectations. Expectations. Left unsatisfied and unfulfilled by the standards of those who held them. Expectations that led to our Jesus of Nazareth being accused by the temple, turned on by God's people, brought before Pilate and angry mobs for the sole purpose of getting rid of him. Why? Because he failed to live up to the expectations of the people. Jesus, in their minds, never did what he was supposed to do. He didn't dethrone the Romans. He never led them as the king they desired. There was no rebellion, and there wasn't, there wasn't going to be a chance given to Jesus to make anything worse for the Jewish elite. Expectations left unfulfilled. Expectations left unfulfilled, resulting in the shouts of hosannas echoing back as crucify him. But I'm getting ahead of the story, aren't I? It's Palm Sunday. So do me a favor, <clears throat> don't, don't go through this week without finding a house of worship because Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, and Easter Sunday, they're part of the story that we can't miss. I beg you to be a part of them. But let's back up. <clears throat> I got ahead of myself, back the trolley up. It was springtime. About 30 AD, Sunday, and Jerusalem was astir with expectations. Springtime, 
2018, a Sunday, Palm Sunday. And our lives are astir with expectations. If we look around, life's crowded, isn't it? It's loud. There's always something to celebrate. There's always something to conquer. And there's always something to overcome. And there's always threats. And today we gather for a week-long celebration. Hmm. Not the Passover festival, but Holy Week. And we too have expectations of Jesus. No, we don't expect him to overthrow the Roman government. We don't expect him to, you know, we don't expect any of that. We're not worried about him tearing down the temple. But when we're honest with ourselves, we have expectations of Jesus, don't we? What, what do you expect from Jesus? Do you expect comfort? Do you expect provision? And I don't mean provision like what we need. I mean like provision by the American standard. Like provision is excess. Do do we expect that if Jesus is who he says he is in this, that we wouldn't have pain anymore? We wouldn't have struggles anymore? This would all be fixed. Why is sin still around? Do you have that expectation of Jesus? That, That if he really was who he says he was, you expected it to be solved by now because your way is the right way? Do we expect that if we're good and we listen to Jesus, he'll give us what we want? Maybe we, maybe we expect to enjoy the fruits of Christ as king without submitting and serving and worshiping and living under his kingship. Do we expect, and this one's not a fun one, do we expect faith without sacrifice? Because I gotta tell you, all through the Old Testament, Forgiveness came at the sacrifice of many, many animals. The blood of many was spilled for the forgiveness of one. And then this week, we're worshiping, we're walking through an experience where the blood of one, the Son of God, the the Lamb, spills his blood for the forgiveness of many. This is the biggest sacrifice in the history of creation. Forgiveness has sacrifice. Do we expect sacrifice? Or do we expect that Jesus is is maybe appalled by you? Like, you're cool with Jesus, but I'm going to keep him at arm's length. I'm going to keep him at arm's length because he's got to be so appalled at the mess that I am. That I can't let them be any closer. So, so maybe I go, maybe I go to church every now and again. Maybe I, maybe I, I open my Bible every now and again. You know, sometimes I listen to Christian music. I do the things that make me feel better. But I keep Jesus here because I expect if he got any closer, he would be disgusted with me. Or how about expecting that you expect God to work on you? You're cool with him getting close and fixing you, but. He, he doesn't want to work through me. Like, I expect God to work on me, but I don't expect him to work through me. Why? Because I'm just not prepared for that yet. I'm not ready for that yet. He wouldn't want to work through me. Do we expect forgiveness? Do we expect mercy? Do we expect grace? 
Because when we do, and this happens to me, and I, I, I hate it, because when we expect those things, the, the most satisfying fruit that humanity's ever known loses its sweetness on our lips, and forgiveness and mercy and grace becomes bland. Do you expect it? Maybe, just maybe our expectations of Jesus cloud our vision. And maybe our expectations keep us from experiencing Jesus. We sit here right now, springtime, 2018, a Sunday, Palm Sunday. Our lives are astir. And we literally watch the procession of the world's shiny power and allure, and we watch the procession of Jesus on a donkey. And we see these processions in our lives today, and we wave palm branches. We lay down cloaks, and we even yell, Hosanna, King, save us, Jesus. But just like 2,000 years ago, our Hosannas echo off our expectations, and they return back to us, crucify him, crucify him. Do you have expectations that cloud your vision and keep you from experiencing the freedom that Jesus has for you. I'm close with this. <clears throat> in Luke's gospel, chapter 19, actually it's in verse 41. I'm going to read it here in a minute. We get the same account of Jesus' triumphal entry, but there's a few more details. I mean, Luke, Luke's detail boy, right? Here's what he says that's one of the things he says that's different. So one thing that Matthew doesn't add, and, and I want to add it for us here this morning. Luke states, as Jesus approached Jerusalem and he saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace. But now it's hidden from your eyes. Our vision clouded, peace hidden from our eyes because like the city of Jerusalem on that spring Sunday, we put our personal expectations on Jesus and we miss it. What do we miss? We miss him. We miss Jesus with our expectations of Jesus. Jesus, who for us sacrificially chose to sit on a throne larger and weightier than we can fathom at the ultimate Passover festival. We call it Holy Week. And so as we walk into this week together, here's what I want to do. I've been, I've been praying. I, the last 24 hours, I've been praying for you. I mean, I pray for you other times, but specifically... Specifically regarding this one issue, I've been praying for you and I'm, I'm urging you, I'm pleading with you, set aside time every day this week, set aside time to listen. Listen, Holy Spirit, where are my expectations of Jesus? Show me. Show me. Set aside time every day. You may be surprised at what you hear, and you're probably not going to like it. But then by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name himself, you fight those expectations. You fight those expectations. So when we come back here next week Sunday, on Easter Sunday, spoiler alert, he's risen. 
we can show up here, expectations aside, no longer clouded or, or our vision is not hidden, and we can receive all that Jesus has for us. God showed up at the Passover to free Israel from the bondage of Egypt. He showed up in Jesus to free us from the bondage of sin, guilt, shame. He is freedom. But we expect. Because in Jesus, more is offered to you than you can ever fathom. More than you could ever expect. Expectations. Expectations. Pray with me. <clears throat> oh, Father, you... You are so good, and, and <clears throat> would you bless us? And I mean like an, an anointing bless us, like pour out your love like oil over Aaron on us this week, not because we deserve it, but so we can, we can retaste forgiveness, we can retaste mercy, we can retaste grace, we can drop expectations, we can hold out our hands and receive your son for all that he is. Holy Spirit, walk us through this ultimate Passover festival, Holy Week. Not in a ritualistic way. Walk us through with might and power and wisdom so we may see and receive and we may leave transformed to transform your world together. Jesus, it's all for you. And it's all because of you. And we praise you. May our worship be sweet to your ears as we know it's not worthy. We thank you for receiving it. Pray these things in your name. Amen. So a few weeks ago when I was preaching, I got home and um, I wasn't planning on sharing this and I shared it in Breakwater, so I'm going to share it with you as well. Because I'm disclaimer man, so why not do a disclaimer afterwards, right? So the people who know me is that are laughing right now. The, um, so I get home, and my youngest, uh, who's three, almost four, is, is talking with Chelsea in the dining room. And I, I'm walking into the dining room, and I hear him say, uh, this is after I was preaching. He goes, hey, Mama, why does Daddy always yell at everyone at church? <laughs> oh, I wasn't planning on it. So I just want to apologize, like, kind of, but this is like the sorry, not sorry. Like, I wasn't planning to yell, but I get loud. So if you heard, like, hostility in there, um, please forgive me. And I'd love to chat with you because I didn't mean that. But if you didn't hear hostility, then that was obviously Jesus. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Take this blessing into the week. May the love of God the Father meet you in a new way. And would you cast off by the power of the Holy Spirit the expectations and the cloudiness that you have regarding Jesus Christ so that you may, by his wisdom and power, show up hands open, heart wide, to receive all he has for you this holy week. Amen. Hey, see you next week. Or no, see you Thursday. I'll see you. <laughs>